aware that the World Darts Championships have recently taken place. And you probably aren't very interested either. But if you are a follower, you'll know it has a passionate following. And it's an incredibly fierce and competitive competition. In preparation for the championships, one of the players revealed that he spent 15 hours a day practicing. Imagine 15 hours a day throwing three little darts into a board on a wall. However, it raised a question in my mind. Why would you want to do that? I suppose it could be for the money. The winner, Scotsman Peter Snakebite Wright, won half a million pounds. Maybe it's for the glory. Maybe some sense of personal fulfillment. Whatever the reason, it would be no exaggeration to say that a person who spends 15 hours a day throwing darts into a board is devoted to darts. However, before we dismiss such a person as a rather sad case, uh, let's pause and ask ourselves a question. What am I devoted to? What are you devoted to? What's the consuming passion of your life? What's that thing which above all else occupies your time and your thoughts? It's that thing that when I get to know you, begin to talk to me about pretty soon or later, usually sooner. It may not be darts, it might be golf, a bit bigger competition, or fishing, it might be a home, or a car, or a career, or a partner, or a family, or it may be nothing at all. Maybe we've achieved or failed to achieve that which we set our hearts on, and having found it unfulfilling, fulfilling and out of reach. We've settled for apathy, merely going through the motions of life and living, devoted to nothing in particular. But let me ask you a question that's a focus this morning. Is there anyone here who is devoted to prayer? Anyone here who's devoted to prayer? If you are a Christian then you should be. In Hope City, if you've been with us over these past months, we've been looking at a letter written by a Christian leader named Paul to a group of churches in a place called Galatia, and this letter is in the New Testament part of the Bible. Today I want to focus on another letter he wrote to Christians in another city called Colossae, and he simply says in it, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to to prayer. The word translated devote means to be strong to, about something, to put intense effort into something, to focus on it, to persist in doing it. So, is prayer your strong point, that which excites your passion, occupies your thoughts and time? Are you, am I, devoted to prayer? This verse is written to a church. So let me ask a question to Hope City Church, of which I am a part. Are we, as a church, devoted to prayer? Am I devoted to prayer? And I guess most of us, myself included, 
would have to answer, honestly answer, no. I guess this was a special Sunday, so Matt said to me, I guess he thought, you've been preaching for 50 years, you must have some sermons on prayer. Would you, would you fill in this week? And, and, and I looked at my notes, and yes, I have preached many times on prayer. But do, make no mistake, I was hesitant in agreeing to it because there's a world of difference between preaching on prayer and being devoted to prayer. But we might argue, look, I'm not devoted to prayer, but I am devoted to Jesus Christ. However, if a man claims to be devoted to his wife, but hardly ever speaks to her, I think you'd be justified in questioning his devotion. If a man spends 15 hours a day throwing arrows into a board, you can confidently say he's devoted to darts. If a person, if I fail to spend even 15 minutes a day in prayer, you can question whether I am really devoted to Christ, whatever you or I may claim. It's interesting and significant that in the New Testament, the object of this word that is translated here, devote, is never exercised, focused on Jesus. It doesn't say devote yourself to Jesus, devote yourself to God. It's a word that focuses on a particular activity or action. It's used several times in the New Testament in the book of Acts, which describes the life of the early church. And... Uh, we read after the resurrection of Jesus and when he ascended into heaven promising to send his Holy Spirit, the believers gathered together, the Christians, the first followers of Jesus, about 120 of them, they went back to Jerusalem to a particular place, a room, and it says they devoted themselves to prayer. And after they'd been filled with the Holy Spirit, we learned that they devoted themselves, look what it says in Acts 2 verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, those four things. The word devoted is the same word there. So the word devoted is used of activities in which the first Christians shared together. Now this does not mean that the early Christians weren't devoted to Christ. It simply means that their devotion to Christ was demonstrated by their devotion to those activities which enhanced and developed their relationship with Christ. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So they could learn what Jesus said and put it into practice. They were devoted to fellowship, meeting with other Christians who had a similar, similar experience and shared together. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, meeting together in what we call communion, to remember why they were there and what it, it had cost Jesus to bring them there. They were devoted to prayer in which they spoke to God the Father through Jesus, his son. You see, prayer is not some kind of optional extra like for the enthusiast. Like aerobics or jogging, you know, that'll improve your health. No, prayer is an essential element of your relationship with God in which you communicate. There's an, old, an older word that's used. In which you commune with God. In which you speak to Him in a relationship with Him. There's an old hymn that says, Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. You know, it's like oxygen, you need it to breathe and survive. And it's because prayer is so important that in our verse, this man Paul writes and says, devote yourselves to prayer. So in this first month of another year, I want to challenge you. I've been thinking a lot. I, I just reached the venerable age of 75, and you should all look absolutely amazed there and think, gosh, I, I thought he was only 60. But anyway, um, you, you look ahead. 
what your life's, what are you going to focus on in the remaining years that God gives you in life? Uh, and I want to challenge you to devote yourselves to prayer. Now, normally in Hope City, we focus on a section of the Bible and we try and put it all together. This is just a single verse. So today we're just going to focus on one verse because it's one particular command. So here's the verse. It's the rest of the verse that I read before. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. It's only one verse, so what I'd like you to do is say it with me so that by the end of this, you'll remember it, okay? So all together, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Once more. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Okay, in this verse, very simply, it tells us two reasons why prayer is so vital, why we should devote ourselves to prayer. Okay, the first one is this. Prayer and protection, the importance of being watchful. The word watchful here is, is the Greek word. That's all the words that translate to the Greek words. It's the word Gregoro, Gregoreo, from which you get the name Gregory. If anybody's got the name Gregory, it means you're alert and awake. It's the word used of a sentry on duty, staying awake through the night to keep alert because of and an enemy might creep in and overpower him. And, and the word is used here in the New Testament in, and used for spiritual alertness. You see, when you if you are a Christian, when you become a Christian, war is declared because you've changed sides. You are, to use other terms in the New Testament, you are rescued from the kingdom of Satan and darkness, and it says transferred into the kingdom of Christ and light. And there will be no amnesty in this war until you leave this life. So you must always be on your guard, always be watchful. Uh, another writer in the New Testament, one of the first followers of Jesus called Peter, uh, he wrote a letter describing, and in it he describes the devil as a hungry lion. That's what he says. Be, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The phrase looking for someone to devour describes a personal attack on the individual Christian. Ever watch those wildlife programs where there's a pride of lions and, and the wildebeest, thousands of them are tramping across the, the plains, all right? And they're looking for someone to devour. Who do they pick on? They pick on the vulnerable ones, and particularly the ones that are a bit apart from the rest of the pack. And then they pouch on them, prowl, and they jump on them and kill them. And, and this verse tells us the way to be, avoid being picked off is to be alert, to keep talking to God in prayer. In prayer, we maintain our relationship with God. We deepen our dependence on him. If, if you neglect prayer, you become vulnerable. Not only to attack, but to other things in relationships in which we devote that attention we should give to God and to Christ, to other things and other relationships. The Bible calls this idolatry. Idolatry is simply something or someone who becomes our focus instead of our devotion to God. Think, think for example, of a young couple who are devoted to one another, or to use a common phrase, they're madly in love, okay? They publicly demonstrate their devotion, their love by getting married, a commitment to an exclusive relationship, 
in which they promise to forsake all other allegiances. But let us suppose that the husband becomes so occupied with his career that he works long, long hours and also takes up a hobby which consumes much of his spare time so that he and his wife actually spend very little time together. You don't need to be a marriage counselor to know that both of them are more vulnerable to some other relationship and liable to succumb to temptation from another person who offers and promises that fulfilling intimacy in relationship, which is now lacking. Now, what is true of human relationships is also true of our allegiance to God, our relationship with God. It is a love relationship. He loves it. We love him because he first loved us. If we neglect it, if we neglect him, if we neglect prayer, then undoubtedly we'll succumb to temptation, which is why through the Old Testament, speaking to God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, the, the, the phrase that's used, God accuses people of spiritual adultery. So if you're not devoted to prayer, you're vulnerable to temptation. If you've not succumbed yet, you will. But the attacks of the devil are not only targeted at individual Christians, but also to the local church. As we've seen, our verse is plural. Devote yourselves to prayer. So here's that same Christian leader, Paul. He's saying goodbye to a church he founded in the city of Ephesus. And he warns them to be on their God. Here's what he says. And he uses a different image, notice, this time an image of a wolf rather than the lion. He says, I know that after I leave you, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. He says, even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Be on your God. Same word again. Remember, he says that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. In Roman warfare, a legion would march together. And it's a fantastic picture. They put the shields over the top of their heads. And the ones on the outside will put shields in front. And so they're totally guarded as a, as a group. They march together. They're, they're invulnerable. That's why the Roman legions <coughs> were so successful. If you are a Christian, you're in a spiritual battle and you need to be part of a local church where you march together, protect one another, and you do that by being devoted to prayer together, united to prayer. We are, to be, we are soldiers and we must stay alert. But we're not only soldiers, we're also singers. For notice the second aspect of prayer in our verse, which is be forgotten already <laughs> devoted be devoted to prayer being and thankful prayer and praise the importance of being thankful the word thankful means to express gratitude for something which you've received something good many years ago in the previous church we were serving um, we got an unexpected letter in the post and it was a letter from a couple in the church and in it they said We've had an unexpected legacy and we want to share what God has given us with you. And inside was a booking for a hotel overseas and spending money as well. What do you think we did? We just said, oh, one of those things, you know. <laughs> no, we were so amazed. We were so grateful. Thanksgiving for something good. Undeserved, unexpected. 
and we spoke to him and expressed our gratitude. Such should be our attitude to God. We should constantly have an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude to God for his good gifts. And we express our gratitude as we've done wonderfully already this morning. And we're so privileged in Hope City. We do that in song, in worship, as we give thanks to God week by week for all the things he's done for us. For his many gifts and his grace. The word thanksgiving at its heart is the same word translated grace, charis, thanksgiving. Which is far more than we deserve or expect. In fact, in my experience, I sometimes, when God gives me so many wonderful things, I think God must have got the wrong address. This surely must be meant for somebody else. So wonderful and deserved. But I have to admit, there are also times when I think God has got the wrong address because I don't like the gift he's sent my way. The disappointment, the frustration, the illness, the limitation. That person he sent into my life, into my home, into my church. So what do I do then? Usually, I stop talking to God. And even if I do speak to him, my prayers are not filled with thankfulness. They're prayers to God to ask him to take back that unwelcome gift. But let me say this, and I realize some of you may be in Pretty awful situations. But let me say this, if you're a Christian, God never delivers mail to the wrong address. God never delivers mail to the wrong address. Whatever he sends is a gracious gift to be received with thanksgiving. Paul again writes to another church in another city called Thessalonica. He says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all situations, circumstances but this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus notice it does not say give thanks to God for all circumstances it says give thanks to God in all circumstances recognizing that God is in control in another verse we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose we are urged to give thanks in all circumstances. And we do that as we're devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Or we stop speaking to God. Are you still on speaking terms with God? Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Let me say something in conclusion. We're getting towards the end. If you'd been around when Jesus was on earth, what do you think would have impressed you most about him. I think most people, the crowds who followed him, the most impressive things about Jesus were his miracles and his teaching. They said, we have never seen anything like this. It's amazing. We've never heard anything like this. But if I believe if you spoke to those 12 disciples that Jesus chose, the ones who were with him 24-7 for three whole years... I think they'd have mentioned something else that was equally, if not more impressive, about Jesus. And it was this. The intimate relationship he had with God his Father, which was expressed in his devotion to prayer. So much that they pleaded with Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. The Lord Jesus was devoted to prayer and was always watchful 
always thankful, even when facing his hour of greatest need. It was this which enabled him to face the greatest test that any human being has faced and ever will face, and to pass it. So as we conclude, it's kind of a sobering moment. I want you to reflect on that scene recorded in the Gospels the night before Jesus was betrayed and then crucified. That scene in the garden called Gethsemane. It's recounted in Matthew's Gospel. And as you listen to it, I want you to notice the focus between Jesus and his disciples. Susan's going to read it for us. And normally we put the words on the screen. I'm going to suggest you just try and Rather than the screen, just try and focus on the scene and think about the contrast between these three chosen disciples and Jesus. And then I'll just say something briefly at the end of it. Thank you, Susan. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. In prayer... Jesus wrestles with God's will. He describes it as the cup the Father has given him. It's a term that means the cup of God's wrath poured out on sin and sinners. In order for us to be forgiven, he must drink that cup. And he is in agony. And he says to these three chosen disciples, watch, same word we've been looking at, watch, Gregorio, watch and pray with me. And they fall asleep. And he's out of greatest need. Finally he's able to submit to the Father's will. He accepts with thanksgiving the cup the Father has given him. 
the cup of God's wrath, so that we might know the cup of God's blessing instead. The drinks are exchanged so that we might be forgiven, restored, brought into relationship with God. Amazing love, amazing grace. Have you ever received that cup? Are you part of God's family? That's what Jesus died for, to bring you into God's family. If you have, then no matter what your circumstances, the challenge to you, the challenge to me, is be devoted. Let's see the verse again. Be devoted to prayer. Say it once more, then we'll reflect briefly, and then Laura is going to lead us in prayer once more. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Moment's reflection, then Laura can pray for us. Dear Lord, as I um, think back on what we've just heard from your word, uh, Father, as I pray, keep me alert so that I can um, see uh, where I may be falling in my own life, falling away. As I pray, keep me alert um, for my family, Father, that um, I can be... Uh, sensitive to where they may be hurting or falling away. And Father, as I pray and as we pray um, as a body together, I pray that you will strengthen us like those, uh, like a Roman legion, that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy. Strengthen us. And I just uh, pray that you will build our alertness as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.